on how much I agonize over the text. And so, um, but I believe that um, in that search of truth that God has prepared something nice for us this morning as we continue the uh, series that we started, uh, I believe this somewhere in July, The Controversial Christ. We did take, however, last Sunday off. How many enjoyed Will Eifler's sermon last Sunday? That was a pretty awesome sermon. You know, um, when you're Will Eifler and you have the kind of relational collateral that he has, you just kind of stop the series and just let him talk about what he wants to talk about. So, you know, if you've ever wanted to have this mic, you should probably just work on having, like, a relationship with one of our leaders here. And most likely you can get it. And whatever's, you know, what's cool about that is you can probably talk about anything that you want as long as it's centered and about, it's centered on Christ and about God. And so Will talked a little bit about community. He really just, um, I think, redirected us uh, back to the calling of God over our community, um, and I think even more specifically, um, that geographical uh, uh, call where, where, where Will was kind of saying, hey, listen, we know Cambridge, Boston can be somewhat of a dead and dying, barren wasteland spiritually, but hey, we just need a couple people to sign on to really roll up their sleeves to work at advancing the kingdom of God. So it was a great reminder. Um, it was a great time I personally like just recommitted myself to the call of God uh, for this city and for this church and for our house of prayer and so Will thank you so much for bringing an excellent word as you did last Sunday and um, so again we're gonna we're gonna pick up our series again uh, the controversial Christ we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 5 now if you are here with us I think our first um, sermon on this series we actually started in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. There's so much there to look at and to feed upon and to meditate upon. And so I'm going to take us back there. However, we will not be talking about um, loving our enemies. We will be touching upon something else. So don't you know, think I'm going to repeat a sermon that I did before. I'm not going to do that. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, actually picking up in verse 21. Before we read the text, I just want to give some kind of background uh, of the time, the audience in which Jesus is addressing here uh, in this gospel, in this chapter. This section of teaching uh, from Jesus is actually said to be one of the most important teachings in the New Testament. That's pretty remarkable, right? Uh, Now, if you're not familiar, don't be afraid. We're going to read the text, but again, I just want to give some background here. In this chapter, Jesus speaks with a specific kind of authority. Now, Jesus always had a kind of baller mentality. I mean, he just, he ebbed, you know, kind of authority. Like, people just were taken by Christ. Um, But this is a different kind of authority uh, that Jesus is speaking with here in Matthew chapter um, 5. And I want to do my best to kind of point out the kind of authority Jesus is speaking in. Because usually it was just maybe a a mannerism or a a lifting of his voice or spitting as he speaks or just getting passionate over scripture or over a parable. But here Jesus is pretty much speaking on his own authority. Now when we get into the chapter, when we actually start reading the verses, this is going to, I think, if you're listening, you're paying attention, take on some significant meaning um, here. Um, Again, Jesus was always wowing and astonishing the crowds by his authority. But here Jesus is doing something different. He's not attributing any of his teaching to God the Father. He's not attributing any of his teaching here 
to um, you know, uh, an Old Testament uh, scripture. He is speaking on his own authority, attributing none, no other authority to God or anything else or anyone else. And that's pretty significant. You know, in Mark chapter 1, verse 22, for example, uh, Mark says this as Jesus concluded his teaching in the synagogue that day, that the crowds were astonished at his teachings because he taught with some kind of authority. And they kind of pointed out the difference between the authority of Christ and the authority of the scribes. And so this kind of authority is not the kind of authority that Jesus is about, to re- about ready to speak, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 5. Um, you know, as early as the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was, again, astonishing the crowds, uh, wowing them, wowing the people with his authority. But with all the significance of this teaching here, Jesus does something unthinkable. And might I add, extremely controversial. Jesus begins by quoting uh, the law of Moses, I believe the sixth commandment. But then, oh, let me just back up here. Quoting the law is not really a big deal. You know, Jesus' critics would use the law against Jesus if you didn't take notice of the gospel. I mean, you know, if Jesus didn't honor the Sabbath, for example, the Pharisees would use the law against Jesus and say, well, hey, why don't you honor the Sabbath? In the commandments it says this, you know. So, Jesus quoting the law was really no big deal, honestly. But he goes on after quoting the commandments, uh, and he starts pointing out, um, might I say, the inadequate interpretation or perception of the law of God uh, with uh, these, this audience. And, and he proceeds uh, to substitute those corrections he's making with a teaching of his own. And might I add, just again, just for a little bit of a dressing on the salad, he, he does this all by his own authority. Now, this is mind-blowing, because, I mean, if you're familiar with the gospel, then you're familiar with how much these Pharisees, Sadducees, these people gave themselves to the law. And, and, and just to back up, I just said Jesus uh, proceeds to correct their interpretations of the law. He substitutes those teachings... This is crazy. Now, mind you, this is something that these people are extremely zealous about, passionate about, and to do something like substitute by his own authority and add some dressing to the salad of God's law is is offensive. But he does it. He does it by his own authority. The general commitment to the law at this time was a kind of like through the commandments, you know, a white knuckle kind of religion, you know, I'm just going to do my best to abide by the law of God. Uh, it doesn't matter if there's lust in my heart, it just, it just matters that I don't act upon that lust. It doesn't matter that there's anger in my heart, it just, it just matters that I don't act upon that anger. And Jesus changes the story a bit, and he begins to help them realize that it does matter what's about, what's, sorry, in your heart. The law was never about behavior modification, right? We know this. And neither is Jesus. Uh, They're both the law and Jesus' commandments are about the heart being transformed. So with that being said, let's read Matthew 5, starting at verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder 
and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of the same judgment. Can we just stop there? Just let that set in for a little bit. Just, just let that get into your heart, your mind. Think about it. What Jesus just said there is huge. It's huge. Not to sound like Donald Trump, sorry. Uh, but it's big. It's massive. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to the same judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are still going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say every one who looks at a woman, every man, excuse me, that looks at a woman with lust in his heart um, has already committed the act of adultery. You have to understand, to the Hebrew, the law was divine. Of course, it should be. It's from God, right? The, the law was given by God. That makes it everlasting. That makes it unchangeable. That makes it unshakable. Rabbis used to teach whoever would... Uh, break or uh, deny that the law was from God, they would not um, partake in the world to come. They taught that um, anyone who added or took away from the law would be in danger of judgment and hellfire, as Jesus just said. In other words, we don't mess with God's law. And now here Jesus is quoting, and I imagine in their eyes contradicting and now substituting those corrections with his own teaching. I mean, think about it, right? In their eyes, he just pointed out the inadequate interpretation of the most sacred, sacred excuse me, writings in all the world. And he proceeds to correct them in his own wisdom. This is what put Jesus on the cross. Jesus took the highest wisdom of man and corrected it. This is what is unshakable. I mean, I'm sorry, unthinkable. But the crazy does not stop there. The crazy proceeds. Jesus takes the Mosaic law, which says if you have committed murder, you are guilty of breaking God's law. Two, if a man has anger in his heart, towards a brother, then he's also liable of that same judgment. And he does the same with adultery. This is unbelievable, unimaginable. Interestingly enough, though, this portion of Scripture has similar parallels to when Moses was on Mount Sinai giving the Ten Commandments to 
the Israelites, Jesus kind of in the same heart, the same tenor, and, and even kind of the same posture, now sits on the mount and gives what most theologians call the commandments of Christ. Be sure to it. God cares about his law even now. Even now. Because it was never really about the behavior, the, the, the uh, behavior of humanity to be corrected and kind of just white-knuckle their way through. Oh, i got to do this. It was always about and even now about and even here in Matthew 5 about the heart being changed. And you know, God knows if he has your heart, he has your behavior. I, I say that all the time, but it is so true. He's not, God's not up in heaven trying to look for little robots that he can program, little, little, little puppets that are on his strings. Like, no, don't do that. No, God's looking at getting inside of your heart, changing your heart. So there's hope today, right? I mean, if, you are a, if you're someone who's prone to addiction, if you're somebody who, who just cannot seem to get things right, there's hope. You just have to let Jesus into your heart. And he can change it. He will change it. It is true. Jesus does set the standard higher. He, the water table, so to speak, rises a bit. Right? But, but, but in reading this, my heart almost, you know, faints a little bit. You know? I'm like, I, I, like, I, here I am, you know, preaching this word. And I can think of at least three times today that I got angry with somebody. You know, and here I'm, I'm reading the scripture. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, of course, I, I've never, my, my anger has never led me to hit somebody. But, but in Jesus' eyes, that doesn't really matter, right? I mean, if that anger was alive in my heart, then I, I, I'm in the same position who somebody, of somebody, excuse me, who acted upon that anger. So where is the hope? Who can live by these standards? I don't know, you know, I, I, I think if even if someone was here today and they raised their hand and said, I can live by that standard, I would say you are extremely prideful and most likely deceiving yourself and a liar. So where is the hope? I mean, if you take Paul's words in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How do we reconcile these two worlds? For all have sinned, to if you have anger in your heart, you are liable to the same judgment that a murderer is liable of. How do we make that connection? How do we go on in this journey of faith with hope? I don't know. Well, I know I do know. I shouldn't say that. Have you ever read the scripture and you're just like, you know, and I think even this story per se is like, you read it and you're just like, uh, who can really follow Jesus? Like, you, you, you know, you read Matthew 5, 21 and you're like, who does that? I certainly don't. And, and if that's what Jesus requires, then if that's really the standard, then who can ultimately follow that standard? Have you ever, am I the only one who has done that? That's like, what is the point of following Christ? Because I'm, I'm never going to be able to live up to that. I'm never going to be able to, you know, come up to those standards, live by those standards. But I want to say that this is not one 
of those occasions. This is not a time to despair. It's not meant to deflate us of hope. I I believe that Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, I know it sounds crazy, but I, I believe that Jesus means to give us an everlasting hope. One, if we look in the rest of the passage, and if we match that passage or that chapter against other teachings of Paul and and Peter and even Jesus himself. I think there's reason to be very hopeful. I, I think that this teaching actually is meant to empty us of self reliance and pride. It kind of forces, I know it does for me, it forces me to cleave to Christ, to cleave to Him. Not just treat him as he's like a ticket out of hell. You know, like, just, just save me, Jesus. Get me out of that. Get me out of the eternal fiery pit of hell. No, no, this right here, this, these kind of texts, they, they, they cause something in me that wants to lay hold and cleave to Christ, knowing that he's my only hope, knowing that he is the only one that can help me, an angry, lustful man. I see two reasons it's not to despair when I match this or these couple verses against the rest of the scripture and even some of Jesus' teaching. And let me just get to those. The first one is Christ alone can enable us to rise to such standards in which he himself clearly sets before us here in the text. I believe that if Jesus set these standards, he can empower us to reach these standards. Let me, let me say that again. I, I don't believe Jesus is just dangling, you know, a treat before saying, good luck, good luck, buddy, good luck. Oh, you almost got it. Oh, me, you know, I, I don't think he's up there trying to, you know, tease us. I, I think if Jesus set these things out there, surely we can meet them by his grace. I believe that he can empower us to do such things. And then secondly, why I do not despair over a text like this is because Christ alone can give us grace and the endless mercy when we fail to live up to these standards. So in my opinion, in my estimation, Jesus both empowers us and gives us grace when we fail. So what's the point? The point is this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So no matter what side of the line, I guess, so to speak, you're on, if you're one who's like, oh, like, it's like I need the grace of God. I am a failure. I cracked open my computer and feasted upon pornography. You know, I, I have anger in my heart. It, or if you're one of like, oh, you know, like, God's pretty good to me. I feel kind of, I feel free from anger. I feel kind of like, you know, I feel secure in this faith race, so to speak. Uh, God is so good. No matter what side of the line you're on, it's because of Jesus you're on that line. So rather, if you're rejoicing because God has empowered you to overcome and live free, or if you are in the muck, in the mire of sin, and you're relying upon the grace of God, It's all about Jesus. That's why I don't despair.
That's a very controversial statement, I think, to make, especially to people who prefer religion. You know? This is devastating to people who, who think they gain God's approval through their or by their performance. That's the same thing the Pharisees did. That's how they got tripped up. That's why Jesus is speaking to them. Because they were more concerned about how they were performing and how they were kind of white-knuckling their way through to obeying God's law. But Jesus said, there's something missing. I, I, I don't have your heart. I may have your behavior. I may have your performance. You might be, uh, you know, denying yourself. You might be running from the devil, but I don't have your heart. There's something still alive in your heart. And that's what I want to get after. And I believe Jesus is still in that business. He wants to get after things in our hearts. So even if I'm just repeating myself today, or, or just maybe I'm, I'm trying to remind you of a precious truth, let Jesus have your heart. If you're worried about some kind of blemish, if you have uh, you know, sin in your life, don't obsess over what's going on you know, in your life in regards to sin. Obsess with opening your heart and your life to Jesus. Performance-based religion always ruins Christianity. It just does. It is such a Debbie Downer. Nobody wants it. True Christianity, friends, and this is the, if you get nothing else, just hear this. I'm sorry I've been yelling at you. I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize. I just did. What am I talking about? It, listen, true Christianity is all about dependency on Christ. Dependence on, dependency on both salvation, right? Dependency on salvation and Dependency on his freedom that he brings. The freedom that he offers. Because again, if Jesus sets, sets such standards, excuse me, then he's going to give us both the grace and, and, and the, the, the power of his grace to enable us, to empower us to reach those standards by that grace that he gives us. So again, rather, if you're dependent upon his grace due to the anger that's in your heart presently, or if you're rejoicing to the newfound freedom um, from anger that's been now replaced with the fruit of kindness and joy in your life. Again, the point is this. We cannot live by such standards. We cannot reach such standards. We cannot obtain the grace to reach such standards apart from Jesus. Thus, true freedom, true Christianity is not white-knuckling our, our way through the commandments of Christ with some kind of performance mentality. So for me, Matthew 5 now becomes more about my need for Jesus than it is about me failing to meet or live up to the standards that Jesus sets. See, for me today, I'm not worried about how I'm failing. I, I, I'm, I'm worried about you know, my awareness, so to speak, of my present need for Christ. 
So when I fail um, or when I achieve, all is meant to lead me in one direction, and that's towards Jesus. You know, and that's why, for me personally, I don't need much to get me into the presence of God. I don't need much to lift my hands and sing out loud, pray out loud, rejoice and be a fool at church and in the prayer room. I, I, don't, have, I don't need a lot pulling on those things. I already have so much in this bank account of mine here of forgiven sin and empowerment and, 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 and grace to live victorious over sin. I already have enough in my reserve accounts that when we get into the presence of God, I'm like unhinged. I'm crazy. I, I, I can sing loud, dance loud, yell loud. doesn't matter about my week, my day. Noth, none of those things determine anything for me. I, be, I begin to snap in right when the first song is hit, the first prayer is prayed. The first bad day happens. I begin to snap in with the grace of God. Where would I be apart from your grace, Jesus? So again, just to say this a third or fourth time. It's Christ who frees us from the power of sin. And empowers us to remain free from sin. And it's Christ whom has the power to forgive each and every sin, each and every time we ask for forgiveness. You tell me, is that not a cause to rejoice and be glad in the Lord? Is that, is that not something to just place, or I should say, give you an eternal hope? You know, I think for me, it's sufficient. It's sufficient. So the goal is dependency in Christ. Dependency on Christ. So Jesus teaches us a little bit about this in John chapter 15. I think I'll use two verses there. You can turn there if, you're, if you'd like, but I'm sure a good majority of you are already familiar. Um, and I'm sorry for sweating. They turned off this side of the AC. And for me, who sweats a lot, that's never good. Um, so whoever did that, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, my wife wants me to have like sweat rags up here. I just, I don't know about that. I don't feel comfortable. I feel like I'd be crossing the threshold like a T.D. Jakes type, you know. I'll start throwing and hitting people with my handkerchief, thinking that my, so I don't, I just haven't, I'm prob, you're probably looking at me like, no, you should definitely take your wife's recommendation. But, uh. I'm, I'm, I'm staying with this look, though. So you can see how much I work and toil to preach God's word faithfully. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, guys, Jesus taught his disciples about uh, being dependent upon him in John chapter 15. So much to the point that Jesus says at the end of verse 5 of the chapter that apart from him, apart from Christ, they can do nothing. Now, I imagine when Christ says this, he really means nothing. Now, I might get off on a little bit of a bunny trail here, but I imagine that there's the most of us here today think, or, or maybe be thinking right now at this point, I can do plenty of things without Christ. I mean, the thought rolled through my head. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I can, I can list about five or ten things. 
But I, I don't know if that's what Christ is going after here. I imagine even when he said this, he was thinking, yeah, well, there's probably plenty of things that they can do. But, but really, I think what Christ is going after is the significance in the things of which we do become far more significant by the power and the grace of God than they do in our own strength. Would you agree? Would you agree? And so I imagine that that's what Jesus is going after. I mean, there's a lot of things that I can do um, practically in my marriage, uh, you know, as a father, you know, as a pastor, that I can just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, just change this up a little bit, change that up a little bit, do this a little different, and we'll, we'll get some change. I don't need Jesus to do that. But I, I, I imagine Jesus is going after here the fruit of what happens when we are dependent upon him. And we really get to the point of our lives where... I, I can't do nothing apart from you, Jesus. And the more older I get, hear me, I'm only 40. I know I look like 28. Don't lie. You know I look 28. No. Um, but the, the more I age, the, the more I appreciate this verse. Because I've come to the realization both as a father, as a pastor, um, as a husband, you know, as a neighbor to neighbors. I mean, I, I've, I've realized that truly Jesus is right. I can do nothing of significance apart from Jesus. Thank you, honey. <laughs> this is a talkback church. I personally get frustrated when people aren't clapping. I don't even care if you don't like it. You know, like, just a little, you know, praise God, a little clap. I mean, we're a holla back at your boy kind of church, so it's all right. I, just, you know, I know New England kind of the churches are, you know, they're not hollow back at your boy kind of churches, but this one is. Sometimes there'll be a girl. Sorry for all those who don't believe women should be in ministry. We actually disagree with that. Um, and you can holler back at girls too as they bring you the word. The right kind of holler back though. Um, <laughs> it's okay to laugh too. The Bible says joy is like medicine, that laughing is, heals our hearts and souls. And so, um, so I imagine, to get back on point here, that, uh, th that Jesus is talking about the fruit that comes. Actually, that's what the whole chapter is about. It's a, about abiding so that we can bear as disciples of Christ, fruit for Christ, fruit that exalts Christ. And so, there's something that happens in our life when we really understand, and not only understand, but believe, yeah, there is nothing in my marriage, there is nothing as, in being a father and being a pastor or whatever it is that you do that you, that, that you do that, that is of significance if Jesus is not the fuel, uh, the, 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 the substance of what's driving that um, that, that, that being a father or that being a plumber or that being a pastor or being a carpenter or being a student. And so I think that Jesus wants to impact our labor so that we can bear fruit. And again, this is what the whole chapter is about. Well, not the whole chapter, maybe the first 15 verses. But so, so Jesus, right, in the text gives us a wonderful analogy of uh, a branch uh, that cannot produce, Right? It cannot produce any fruit unless it abides or is connected to the vine of which is Christ in the text. Um, the word abide in the passage 
means to stay in a given place. A state of relationship or expectancy. uh, To continue to dwell or endure. To be present. How many just feel like you're not present in your relationship with the Lord? Like, you know, just like, I just feel like I'm like, when I get into prayer, I'm so disconnected mentally. Like, it's so short because I pray one prayer and then I'm like thinking about hot dogs or something. Um, You know, I think about hot dogs a lot. I'm sorry, I just put my own thing there. Um, But... But it's to be uh, present. It's to remain and to stand and to tarry. Essentially, um, the word means to maintain unbroken fellowship with Christ. Can you imagine that? I mean, just for the simple fact that Jesus actually invites us into this kind of relationship. Where he, not like my wife, gets sick, sick of me time to time and says, hey, could you leave the house? And maybe, you know, I don't know, take a drive because you're driving me crazy. You know, but just talking honestly, like the, the, the creator of the universe, friends, invites us into a relationship with him where in his heart, in his mind, he's like, I don't want unbroken fellowship with these people. That, that is, that, is that, that devastates me, actually. Because I, I, I have in Christ, a person who wants, a God who wants to have unbroken fellowship with me, but yet I, I fall short of wanting fellowship with him. But this is the kind of Christ we serve. A Christ who, who wants us, you know, who wants relationship with us, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on, uh, you know, times when we're in the prayer room, not just times when we're out, you know, doing whatever, but he wants it to be when we're at the gas pump. He wants relationship when we're in our schools, in the classrooms. He wants it when we rise, when we go to bed. I mean, he, he wants relationship with us. He wants it to be unbroken, but yet we treat it very religiously, don't we? Like, oh, like, when I go to the prayer room, that's when I have my time with Jesus. You know, or, nope, it's almost Sunday. That's Jesus' day. Let's go connect with the Lord. But yet, in Christ, we have someone who wants unbroken fellowship with us. My recommendation is that we would all take advantage of what Christ wants from us in those regard, regards. So I got a little distracted, but let's get back on the point and bring this thing home. Um, again, Jesus makes it very clear that a branch, uh, a disciple, we will say, cannot produce fruit if it is not connected to the vine. The vine is Christ. We are the branch. We can do nothing apart from Christ. At least that is what Christ says. I happen to believe it. And if you're a Christian here today, you probably should too. That branch, in Jesus' summary, um, is meant to be dependent, right, upon the vine, which is Christ, uh, for the fruit-bearing substance it needs. Uh, So Christ sets up for us this understanding of our way of relating to him as one who is us, dependent upon him for everything,
The main point of John chapter 15, I think, is, again, not to beat the record or the drum here a little bit. It's all about dependency, right? It's all about us abiding in him and us remaining in him, us having unbroken fellowship with him, the idea of what Jesus sets up for us. And I think helps us realize in Matthew chapter 5 when we're hit with the staggering news that if a man has anger in his heart, it's, it, 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 it is, that, that man, excuse me, is liable of the same kind of judgment that a man who acted upon murder uh, did. And that reality hits us with a sobering blow and we're like, whoa, like, I had like anger in my heart like five times this morning before I got to church. I certainly didn't hit anybody, but I wanted to. What do I do? Where do I turn? I turn to dependency in Christ. Dependency for grace. Uh, the dependency for him to empower me to live free and to remain free from anger and lust. This is not just true for the twelve. This is true for every disciple. Then, now, and forever. You know, it's easy for us, let's just be honest, it's easy for us, especially in America, to put our, uh, you know, dependency uh, in anything other than Christ. You know, you, people, family, places, you know, religion. I mean, you know, it seems as though uh, we are very good at uh, counting on and being dependent on certain things that Jesus really never, um, uh, uh, you know, called us or provided, if you would, uh, a way or a means to be dependent upon. And, and, and it almost as if uh, Jesus gives us a, a bit of hope here, a little caveat of like, hey, listen, I, I am the only thing that is truly going to satisfy you. It's not like you're going to be let down and being dependent upon me for what you need. It's not like you're going to be let down, uh, you know, for, for, for uh, the fruit that I bear in your life will bring everlasting joy and satisfaction. But yet, we as humans and Christians, we, we so regularly just place our dependence into anything other than Christ. And we start this just crazy cycle of, you know, joy one day and despair and depression the next day because we find that when we place our hope and when we're dependent on things like relationship, relationships, excuse me, when we're dependent upon anything other than Christ, those things let us down. Come on, am I, am I reading anybody's mail? I'm certainly putting my own heart out there. And Jesus, all throughout Scripture, just throws out this invitation, come to me. Like, I'm not going to make you, but listen, you, I, I'm inviting you. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you real rest for your soul. Come on. Life sometimes feels like a roller coaster ride, doesn't it? But I, I imagine that if we put our, uh, if we start redirecting, if you would, who or what we put our dependency in, all oh, that up and down roller coaster of life, I imagine would become very straight, very narrow, very easy almost. Because we find that our, our trust, our hope, 
Our being satisfied is in Christ Jesus. I don't know if I'm making sense. I hope I'm making sense. And this is what Jesus does in verse 1 of the chapter. He establishes himself as the true vine, doesn't he? That's what he does. I am the true vine, which kind of says to me that there's not-so-true vines out there. There's counterfeits. There's kind of like... You know, like what I mentioned earlier, there's things where we easily get distracted and we easily think, well, oh, I can, I can like put some hope there. I can rely upon that. Then we're devastated when we're let down. And I, I believe Jesus sets himself up to say, no, 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 no. I'm the true vine. You know, just, just, just come to me. I will give you rest. So we're two things to just bring this to a close, that I want to just submit to you, I should say. Um, One is this. No matter, again, what side of the line you find yourself on today, if you are utterly and completely in need of God's grace because you see yourself as a failure of living up to God's standard, it's there. Be at peace. Stop trying to work at performing your way through your faith journey and rely upon God's grace when you fail to pick you up. Two, if you're experiencing freedom and the joys of, um, of, of, of being free from certain kind of sins and failures, then rejoice and be glad. But know it's only because Christ empowers you to do such. And then both of these realities, both of these um, human conditions can converge and, and kind of settle in on the simple but yet lovely truth that we are meant and called to depend upon Christ and Christ alone. See, the reason I'm driving this narrative is we commonly, meaning preachers, uh, make in the pulpit, um, we, we, we kind of, I don't know if it's on purpose or if it's just like misguided or what it is, but we like to make more of the human condition than we do the, the one who saves humanity. And, and what I'm trying to do is redirect our attention off of our condition and put it on the Savior. I'm trying to elevate our minds and eyes upon the one who empowers us by his grace and forgives us by our grace. And then by acknowledging that, we can direct our affection, so to speak, our hearts in being utterly and completely dependent upon Christ more than we are distracted by our failures, more than we are taken by the pride of like, oh, I'm doing okay. Because here's the thing. 
both God's grace and his empowerment are fueled mainly by obsessing over Jesus and putting our full heart, full mind, and being utterly, completely dependent upon him for that grace. I want to pray in closing here for those who have just battled against the spirit of religion. You, you thought that if you just would perform better, pray more, read more scripture, you know, not that I'm against all those things, but I want to pray for those who just have felt as though they're, they're warring, struggling, or living up against kind of a religious performance mentality. We're just like, God, the more I do, the more you'll accept me. If that's you, man, will you just stand to your feet as we begin to play this worship music? I believe that God is going to free us from religion this morning. So, so again, just to be very clear, if you feel like, man, I, I constantly struggle and, and, and it's like a, it's all in the mind of where I constantly think, well, if I would just do more. Listen, God's into you doing more. He really is. He wants you to pray more. He wants you to seek Him. He wants your nose in His book. But, but He wants it under the right premise. He wants your heart to be there, not just your behavior. And so if, if you're just, you just feel like, I am battling against this thing, I believe God's grace is here to free us, to, to make us true sons and daughters. That it's not about us performing. It's not about us doing more. It's about us relying more upon the grace of God. It's all right, you can clap. That's good news. I'm so glad that, that I can count on Christ. That I, I don't have to count on me being a perfect Christian. I don't have to count on me praying more and checking more off the list of what I did do or didn't do. I, I, I love and rejoice in the fact that this thing is all about Jesus. It's all about Christ on this side of eternity. It will be all about Christ in eternity. So I'm not going to work this thing up. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I'm going to believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to hit some of your hearts today. And he's going to cut this thing, this cord of religion that you have warred against mentally and emotionally. Father, right now I pray in the name of Jesus that you would come. Deliver those who have struggled, God. Those who have battled the spirit of religion, God. And thinking that they would just do more if they would just pray more, if they would just read more, if they would just get in there more, serve more, God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, do your work. Set us free from performance-based religion. God, set us free from that counterfeit spirit and cause us to be utterly, completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that the spirit of adoption would run through this place, through our hearts this morning, God. That you would assure us that we are your sons and daughters. That we are not loved more or loved less by we, what we did or what we didn't do. 
God, I thank you that you did it all on the cross through your son, Jesus. And now set us free, God, that we might do this Christian thing right by putting our belief, our trust, our faith in you completely. God, do a work. We're going to sing this song together in closing. And if you just would stick around. And listen, I want us to sing this song like God just did something powerful in your heart. And then we're just going to take maybe three minutes at the end and close the service out with some news that we have. But can we engage in this moment, make this moment special because we've realized just the depth, the height, the width of God's love for us. Can we do that? Amen.